Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of One Mic Night, the podcast that brings you stories of artists and people on their journey, helping to guide, answer questions, and motivate you in life and the business. You already know who I am. It's Marco Suiz. I'm back. It's season five, and I'm so excited. Thank you guys all for sticking with me for all these years. I say that all the time, but you have no idea what it means to share people's story and inspire you along the way. So today is no exception. My guest today is a motivational speaker. She is a sickle cell warrior. She is a co-author of a book, and she's also the CEO of Kids Dance Organization. I want to make sure I get that right. Please welcome. Is that <laughs> please welcome Dr. Carla Hooks Hooker to the microphone? Welcome, welcome. Thank oh, you. you see- Thank you for having me. Hey, you see what you did? I've already flubbed up in the first minute trying to get all your okay. names and titles together. Drop Let's, the titles. Call me Carla. It's Carla's Kids and Carla. That Carla's makes Kids and Carla. All right. Listen, I have many questions for you. Go first for question. It. Who is Carla Hooker? Carla Hooker is really, I'm supposed to be an adult. I'm supposed to be a 55-year-old adult and sickle cell warrior like you just announced me and yes I have titles and all this good stuff but I'm a four-year-old on the inside I'm silly I'm fun I love children they are my passion I love helping people this is what I do and I've been doing for over 30 years teaching children how to dance and have more confidence through it and to be more resilient I love that I love it where did you where did you grow up where are you from I am from the DMV DMV DC, Maryland. Yeah. What what, what was that like growing up for you? In that well, area? when you, when you have a mother who was a DC public school educator mm. and a father who was a DC police officer, you have to walk a very, you know, chalk line. I better not get in any trouble, even what? though I did my, my little, little thing secretly. But yeah, I, <laughs> stay out of trouble. My dad said, don't have the police call my house or, you know, unless it's self-defense or you might as well stay there because I'm not coming to get you. I know that's right. Was it, did you feel a lot of pressure growing up as a kid? Pressure to excel and Mm -hmm. to succeed. Yes. My parents believed in education. They believed in academics. Um, Even when my parents divorced, I still lived in a two parent home with my dad and my stepmom, whom I call mommy. I have three mothers. My dad's been married three times. So mm-hmm. if I say mom, I'm talking about my biological mother. <laughs> if I say mommy, I'm talking about, yes, at 55, I still call her mommy. She just checked on me yesterday, Gloria Hooker. And then Reverend Mama is my dad's wife. He's married three times, but now he's married to a pastor. Oh, so, wow. How yeah. did that How did that impact your life? I mean, you know, most kids, even just going through one divorce, having a single parent, or, or, you know, a, a, a second mom or, but a third mom, how did that impact your life, you know, in terms of what you do and where in the direction you were going? When my dad first, when they, when I was 12, when they first were divorcing, I thought it was because of me mm. because, you know, children don't understand and let, unless parents really sit them down and explain that we're not divorcing you and it's not because of you. It's us and our differences. And once I finally got it, 
in my late teens, maybe 19, early 20s, then it, everything was fine. My, my stepmother and I could not be closer. People think it's weird, but I'm actually more like her than my mother. I have a lot of her ways. And then with my dad's third wife, we just wanted him to be happy. When he came to us asking our permission to get married again, we thought he was joking. So we, we were laughing and he was like, no, how, how would you feel if I marry the pastor? Pastor who? My pastor's <laughs> gonna marry you. And he said, the pastor of my church. I'm like, man, get out of here. But yeah, they, they got married. She said, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> she said, he's also taught her patience and um, it works. I, I, I'm blessed because I have more than one parent. That's how I feel. I look I love at that. it that way. Got four parents, plus mom's parents. I love that, and you know, we also we don't have to be very, very close to our parents, our biological parents. Even you know, with a second marriage, they can be your friends, they can be your guidance, but they're your friends. The closeness that you have with those people shapes your lives in many, many ways. You know, I'm. That's true. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, you know, I my parents divorced when I was five. Um, and I have a very close, close relationship with my mother. She's my best friend, you know, and she, the way she guided me through life, I can't even explain, but there were men in my life who I look at, look to as mentors, you know, my friends. Right. So, yeah, I, I love that. I love that. No, my you... mother and I are very close. Mm -hmm. We're very close. She's very she, close. My, my mother is an elder. My dad's an elder. They both attend the same church. They've known, my whole story is a little weird. My my parents have known each other since kindergarten, my biological parents. Oh, wow. So they still defend each other, even though they're divorced, because they're friends. They, I mean, that's a long time. They, my mom's 80, my dad's 81. That's a long time. To be that friends. is a long time. That's a long time. Do you think so, that, did that affect your, the way you have relationships with people? in general, like seeing that from your own parents, the friendship. The get along with mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't, awesome. they're, they're not, they're not really judgmental people. Mm -hmm. They either like you or they don't. There's usually no gray area in between. They like you. They, either way, they will respect you, but they either like you or they don't. It's not like they're straddling the fence and pretending like they like you. If, if they like you, you know it. And if they don't, you're going to know it too. Okay. But they will respect you even if they don't. You know. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty much the same way. But I'm with me, I think I'm a little more understanding than they are. And I and I can get along with people with different backgrounds and who have different idiosyncrasies just like I do, more than my parents do. They'll kind of dismiss somebody that's not, you know, of the norm. Of the norm, yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas me, I, I embrace it because I want to learn more about them. But I've always been like that. Where did that curiosity come from, do you think? Yeah, I have been curious like that since I was little. I have my childhood memoir will be coming out sometime this year. I'm, I'm with another publishing house and I submitted it definitely on faith. I got a call from one of the publishers and she said, we need you to go ahead and send it. We, we, no, we wish you were done. And I said, well, I am, but not quite. And she said, what does that mean? I said, I finished writing it, but and she said, but what? I said, I haven't proofed it and, you know, polished it up. She said, don't send it now. We, we want to review it. 
And wow. I was like, okay, she said, send it right now. And I sent it. And about a week later, she said, unanimous decision. We want you. We love it. And it's called, I ain't never been ordinary. And I ain't never been me. ordinary. What kind of stuff can we look forward to? You don't have to spill, <laughs> spill a lot of info, but what kind of stuff? That sounds good. What kind of stuff can we look forward Thank to? You. I'll share one story. And I shared the same story with one of my mentors, Les Brown. He and I were training back uh, last March. And he was telling me about him getting locked in the closet by one of his teachers. And I said, well, you and I have a lot in common. He said, you got locked in the closet? And I was like, no, I didn't get locked in the closet. I said, my teacher put me behind her desk in kindergarten. And he was like, Carla, what did you say? What? I said, yeah, she was She was just tired of me. It wasn't that I was bad. I, was, I, I would go to work with my mom and I would also go to work with my dad. So I would watch them and I would model their behavior. My dad, you know, I would sit behind, you know, children, don't call social services, everybody out there or my parents, I was <laughs> safe. But they, there's shifts with, like when my mom finished school, my dad was already at work. So he would take me to work with him. And then she'd pick me up from the precinct. And then, you know, I'd go on about my day, but he would take me to work. I'd sit and I'd watch everything that was going on. And then my mom, when I didn't have school or preschool, she would take me to work with her and I watched what she did. So when I got to my kindergarten class, I finished my work before everybody because my mom, you know, being a school teacher, she's going to make sure I was on top of everything. Right. I already knew how to write my name. I knew my numbers. I knew my letters. So I would go through those worksheets, like, you know, see how fast I could do it. And then the teacher would give me more and I would zip through those and it would irritate her because everybody else was, you know, tracing and taking their time because they, they were learning it. So I would call out, hey, hey, Marcos, you need some help with your work? And what number are you on? And I would do that all the time. And she would uh -huh. say, please, you know, be quiet. <laughs> so she, one day he had just had enough. And I would get up out of my seat and go help people too. Because I thought, you know, I was doing like my mother helping the teacher out. And she pushed a whole, not just my desk, she pushed a whole table behind her desk and then stood in front of it. Like now, no, and I, when I was trying to see people, I couldn't see anybody. I was back there by myself, exiled in it. So you, you were kind of like the class disruptor, but in a positive way. Like you were trying to help everybody, right. but it was actually <laughs> taken away from the students <laughs> learning. That's hilarious. Right. Did you did you grow so, up doing any kind of um, like your father was uh, working for the police, the community service? Did you grow up doing any kind of service for the community, like volunteering anywhere or anything like that? Not when I was young, per se, other than Girl Scouts. I was a I was a brownie. Mm -hmm. They didn't have daisies back then. And then I was a Girl Scout. And I learned a lot from my Girl Scout leaders who lived in my Oxon Hill neighborhood. My, my troop leaders lived there. And I, I learned from them. And then I don't know where this German lady came from that started helping with our troop. But I learned the Girl Scout promise in German. I still know it to mm. this day. I can't speak anything else in German or any other language other than maybe Ola, you know, and that probably doesn't sound right with my DC accent. <laughs> but I, I still know the Girl Scout promise in German. So, yeah, I'll say Girl Scouts. And then later I was a Girl Scout leader. I had three troops. That's okay. So that is service. Is that where, so, you know, your love for, maybe your love for kids came from there? Or what do you think right. the love well, for kids came from? I watched my parents. Again, right. 
It came from my parents. Mm -hmm. My mom was always bringing kids home with her. And I would kind of look at her like, why are they here in our house? Why is this kid? What are they doing in our living room? And she was like, you know, like, like, shut your mouth. Because my mother is an OG and she does not play. She was like, shut your mouth. They're coming to take a bath. Why are they taking a bath at our house? They don't have a bath at their Close your mouth. Because I wanted, wanted to know. <laughs> he wanted to know. She she would bring kids home. If they their water was off, she'd let them let them shower, bathe at our house. She would go, I would go with her and she would go buy them new clothes, socks, underwear, everything, and extra outfits. She'd bring their dirty clothes home and wash them. And I used to think, my teacher didn't do that. That's weird. But over the years, I learned why she was doing it. And she would take food to their homes and she would, the parents loved her. And then my dad did the same thing. He didn't, he, he would bring them home for a little while. He was a cop, but the, he also coached a little league softball team. Mm. Now that softball team was like the bad news bears times 10. <laughs> <Babe>. <laughs> I was just be sitting there like, wow, they fighting each other. And not, not the other team, but they were fighting each other. And my dad would have to run out there and he would be talking to them. But he would talk to them so calmly, you know, and and explain to them why we don't fight each other and how we're a team. So I learned a lot of this from watching my parents. I like that. How did you how did the organization start for you? The kids dance. Carla's kids started after I was bedridden for a year. Mm -hmm. I came home on spring break from East Carolina. Summer break because it was May of 1990 and I was working my summer job. And then I picked my brother up. He was working at my late brother, Wayne. He was working at the Museum of National National His History or something downtown. So I picked him up and then I'm like, I feel like I'm sitting on something. And he was like, yeah, your butt. You, I mean, come on crazy. <laughs> I was like, no, no. I said, you, you ever felt like you're sitting on something, but you don't see it? And he was like, you're tripping. Long story short, by that evening, I couldn't sit down. And I was in this excruciating pain. I had what was called a polynidal cyst. Mm -hmm. And that cyst was about the size of a grapefruit. Oh, wow. And on top of it was an abscess about the size of a huge navel orange. And wow. it was pressing on my spine. And about both of them were about to erupt and poison my whole system. So they couldn't just do surgery. They had to lance the abscess and then... It took, I was bedridden for a year, literally going back and forth to the doctor every day so they could drain it and pack it. And it, it was awful. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But it's very rare. But I was, I've never heard of that before. A pilonidal cyst mm -hmm. kept me bedridden for a year because I had to have surgery after the abscess healed because that grapefruit size abscess was still sitting there pressing against my spine, making it difficult for me to walk. So after that, I was like, I'm not going back to school. I've been confined too long. And my parents were like, what? Uh, yes, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. And I don't know how with my mom. My mom is an OG. She will ride, ride or die for you. But when she's like a cookie on um, Empire. On oh, Empire. She's like that whole character. <laughs> that's, my mother. Yeah. that's my mother in real life. Just an older version, but that's her. My dad is like Lucius in real life. So the two of them, me telling them that, I, was, I'm, I know I was crazy, a little crazy telling them that. But some kind of way I convinced them because I'm very good at convincing people when I feel like I need to do something 
or this is this is for me. I'm I'm very good at it even to this day. And it started back then. I did so I didn't go back and I start I, I would watch how the kids were so good. Their parents were really nice people because I would meet them coming to my mom's school. It wasn't mm. the stereotypical thing that people think about DC or the hood or Berry Farms and Anacostia and all of that. They they want the best for their children. Right. But it was the environment and circumstances that put them there with people doing crime and drugs and all, you know all, all that craziness. So I was like, these kids need a safe haven. So I'm going to provide it. So I went to the principal and told her what I wanted to do. And she was like, okay, but you, and I had already gone to her because I already had a hundred piece marching unit. So I had the marching unit, keeping kids out of trouble with major rats, cheerleaders, patrols, the whole nine yards. And, and we used to win. And then I had, I, I started the dance troupe, and then I had a pom pom squad. Anything I could. So think you were already of involved in the system in, in in that getting yeah. kids to extracurricular activities, you know. Absolutely. To, yeah. I even brought some of my friends from Howard. Two of my friends who graduated from Howard, who ran a music store over in Temple Hills, and they came and gave free drum lessons to girls and boys who wanted to learn before and after school. So, but the dance. That that's my passion, even more so than the other things. I, but I knew everybody wasn't going to dance, mm -hmm. so I, I, we added the dance component, and then that was seen by the mayor. I think it was Mayor Sharon Pratt Kelly at the time, and the commissioners of the Arts and Humanities. And then we just started being invited all over the city mm. by everybody to dance everywhere. I mean, wow. all the big churches in D.C. were paying me like five hundred dollars for us to come and do one dance. And that was a lot of money for somebody who was yeah. like 22 years old. I was going to say, that's a lot of money. Even right. now, so we can't get paid $500 to do it. Right. I, I would feed the but. kids. I'd be like, all right, y'all want McDonald's or you want Popeye's? <laughs> and they were like, yay. You know, and I would, Miss Collar, you got enough money? I got this. So that's what, I, that's what we started doing. I like this. I like this for a couple of reasons. Because, First of all, I always say this because my mother was in education as well, education administration. My hat goes off to educators. Yes. It's not just giving the kids the knowledge. You take on so much with education. You're taking on their home life. You're taking on their mental problems. You're taking on so much. When this child walks into the room, you don't have enough money for your budget. You're taking money out of your own pocket. And like you said with your mother, she's bringing kids home, letting them take a shower, washing clothes. Like those type of things, your father, you know, giving them some sort of counseling and help that they need because the kids, especially in those areas, have problems. We have problems. And who is yeah. going to step up and take, you know, to help us, to help them, I should Absolutely. say. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't date back then because guys thought I was weird. Mm -hmm. Like I'm I said sure. in my, my, out of my book, I ain't never been ordinary. I would have eight, at least 18 to 30 kids in my one bedroom apartment. Wow. It was a gated community, so that kept me from being noticed so much. And I would tell them, okay, when I come to the gate, I need you all to go in the building as quickly as possible. Because there were only four units in where, my unit. And this is what I want to know, is where does that come from, from you? It's just me. It's God. It, it, it's who I am. It's who he made me to be. I would yeah. have them, instead of going out partying most of the time, and I did my share of partying with my friends, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but... When I had those kids, it was me and them. I was the I was the, their second mama, and they still call me mom to this day. They're in their thirties and mid thirties to late 
early 40s. Yeah, mid to early 40s. And I fed them. I don't know how that many kids took a shower at my apartment. I didn't even have that many washcloths. So I would tell them, bring your washcloth and bring your towel. And I would I learned how to stretch $20 for an entire weekend. And they got fed and they got fed well. Wow. Um, a few times I had to call my parents and say, I don't have enough money to feed all of them this weekend. And they would, my mom would get in her car and she would come from Fort Washington. My dad would get in his car and come from Forestville. And they'd meet me. We'd go to Murray's Steakhouse and get baskets full of food and we we feed them. You know, I did what I had to do. It, it just comes from who, it's just who I am. And I, like I said, I was around them doing this. They Now my dad gave me a, a little opposition at, at first because mm -hmm. he was like, I know you really love these kids, but why don't you just have their parents drop them off? Because I was, I had gotten permission from my supervisor. I was working at Savoy Elementary, but then I also was working at the Washington Hospital Center. I got that job because they saw my interaction with the children and hired me to teach drug and violence prevention in the school system. So I was able to keep both jobs for a while and balance it, plus teach dance. And um, he said, you, I, I would use my work van at the, from the Washington Hospital Center because I got permission from my supervisor. She was just like, just don't have any accidents. Be careful because, you know, it's only one seat in the back. How are you transporting them? You know, just just don't get pulled over because <laughs> I, I was the, the kids had milk crates. They remember I had, I had milk crates on the floor and blankets. Oh, wow. because 18 kids can't fit on, on one back seat right. and one side seat. I could squeeze two to three in the front and that was it. So I drove them around all over the place. With oh my me. gosh. You know, doing whatever I had to do. Yeah. Do you know, wow, the impact that you have on people's lives. That's that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you. Um, yeah, young people, we they need people like you. And the more people, first of all, there's a human connection that's missing in our world. And finding you know, these young people who need guidance, who aren't getting the guidance at home, just reaching out to them in any kind of way, showing them any kind of thing that they can achieve. What what for you was the the Carla's Dance organization? Um, what did it do for them? Well, I have three that come to mind. Of course, all of them. But one, Ebony Hamilton, or she goes by Ebony Ty. Mm -hmm. Ebony, I knew there was something special in her. Now she got put out for a whole year for her behavior because of her behavior. She she used to do some stuff. I won't even call her out because people in the New York area know her. She's choreographed for Beyonce and a lot of big names. Wow. Um, and, and taught uh Puffy's kids and Cedric the Entertainer's kids, people like that. So she's really good. But she started with me when she was seven years old. And when Ebony got that scholarship to Fordham University, even, really even before then, when she was recognized by Arthur Mitchell at the Kennedy Center, when they had auditions, and I took eight, my original 18, and four made it, and they were actually the four that weren't supposed to audition because they were too young. Mm. We just told a little, we told a little lie. I told <laughs> them, if you make it, we're going to tell Mr. Mitchell the truth, but uh, this might be your only chance to do this. And I'm glad I did it. He he knew they were too young. He knew they weren't 10. They were like seven and eight, the four that got accepted into the program. Wow. But um, she she did that. She danced 
that summer up in New York, they kept her for another four weeks. Then she went on and danced at Washington School of Ballet. Um, Fordham University, she had a full ride. And then all the things that she's doing now, you know, I'm very proud of her. She's even worked with the Little Mermaid um, and her sister. I can't oh, think wow. of their names right Hallie and Chloe. The, Hallie and Chloe, thank yeah, you. Wow. I've got pictures of her with them and Lynn Whitfield, people like that. So that makes me very proud. You know, that, that this kid used to have to sleep in my bed with me, you know, not because I'm some weirdo, but because she would wake everybody else up. So I'd have to keep her like beside me so I would know she wasn't bothering the other kids while they needed to sleep because we had performances to do that weekend. But so, I'm, you know, I'm very proud of her. She calls me mom like I like I gave birth to her almost, even though she has a mother. But I'm, I'm very I'm still very close to this child and, and most of the other ones. I've got another one, um, Antoinette Reese. She played in the WNBA. Mm. Now. She and I got into it when she was about 10 or 11 at a practice because she told me she wasn't going to do something. And I'm like, well, then bye, get out, go home, do it. We either do it well or we don't do it at all. You know, I sounded like Chuck Brown. And she was like, I'm going to go home and tell my mother. And I was like, tell your mother, I don't care. So she brought her mother back down. Now her mother was trained in lots of martial arts and uh -oh. was known for jacking people up if necessary for me. <laughs> she came down and she was like, I heard what you said to my child. And I said, yeah. And she was like, okay, so what's the problem? I said, either she does it well or don't do it at all. And she can get out and you can too. That's right. She was like, that gave her respect for me. Now she probably could have beat me up. Right, and right. gave me a few karate chops, but she was just like, Okay, she was like, Anna, I guess you better go on back there with Miss Carla because she crazy and you are too. And, and you and know what? It was back, probably the first time she ever heard somebody say that to her. Right. You know, because other people were afraid of her. Not my yep. mother. My mother had all her kids, but other people were afraid of her. And I wasn't at the time. And thinking back, I'm like, I, I was tripping. You were tripping. But I'm glad I did. But you know what? With, with Anna, what happened? She played in the WNBA and she said every time she was on the court, you know, on the court or right before she got in the game, she could hear me saying it, do it well or don't wow. do it at all. Wow. She said, Ma, I heard you oh, in my yeah. head, Ma, every single time. So that makes me proud. That's two of them. And it another should. one I'm going to mention. It's you. Nate, Nate he's, he goes by <laughs> Nate G now, but that's my Nathan. And he's probably like, oh, my gosh, she's telling everybody my real name. Nathan Gwathme, because I'm the mama, so I can say that, his dance mama. <laughs> he graduated with honors from his college. He now is a music producer and an artist. I'll have to introduce you to him. But he, at I think he was about 10 or 11. I think that's when they all started peaking, 10 mm -hmm. or 11. He won the BET talent search. Oh, wow. Okay. Beat all these adults. He had to go on his own because we had a performance. And usually I went with them everywhere. If my kid was somewhere, I went with them. You know, but if we had a performance and they want there was something else they wanted to do that I thought was good for them, I would say, okay, you know what bus to catch, you know what train to get on. Watch what you're doing. If you win, don't let anybody rob you. 
and he won. The trophy was almost wow. bigger than him. Wow. And he had $500 in cash on him and made it back and made from it back. Northwest back to Anacostia and home with his money. Because they couldn't wow. write him a check. He did. Yeah. That's incredible. So things like that. And there's stories that go on and on, but those three are three of my favorite. Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Mm -hmm. First of all, I love children. And I don't want a child to be hurting or sad and, and not have a way to express himself. When my parents were first going through the divorce, like I told you earlier, and I thought it was my fault, I would just sit quietly. And a lot of people didn't, didn't hear me talk unless they were very close to me, like my cousin Shannon. She knew why I wouldn't talk. But I, I don't want another child to go through that whether it's a divorce or whether it's something happening, even with sickle cell, I lost my voice for a while in elementary school because people were like, why is she always going out of the room? Why is the nurse coming in here to get her and said she didn't go drink her water? Because they would, the nurse was very diligent. She made sure if I decided to look at the clock and go, I'm not going this hour, she would come and get me because they wanted to make sure I stayed hydrated. Mm -hmm. Then I couldn't do PE. Then they said, I couldn't do this. I couldn't participate in field day. I could, it was always couldn't, 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 couldn't. And I got tired of it. So being able to, even at 12, when I had to not, uh, when I had to give up my dance career for a minute, because it, I was, my, my legs would swell and the pain got so excruciating that my, three of my pediatricians and my hematologist team, my whole hematology team up at Children's Hospital said, I didn't need to dance anymore. It was too much. Plus, and I those, had sickle arthritis. Those were side so, effects from the sickle cell. And right, just, sickle can you educate people dancing. for those people who don't know exactly what it is? Can you tell them exactly uh, exactly what sure. it is? Sure. I'm glad you asked. Mm -hmm. I like to use food because it makes it easier. Plus, I like mm -hmm. to eat. Um, sickle <clears> cells are like donuts because everybody can imagine a donut. I mean, not sickle cells. Your cells, your normal blood cells are like donuts. My cells are like this pin on my jacket. I don't know if people can see it, but like a sickle or a banana. Okay. Or your crescent blood moon. Cells flow through, right, like a crescent moon. Mm -hmm. Your blood cells flow freely through your veins and arteries and capillaries and all that good stuff with no problem for the most part. Mine, because they're sickled and they lack oxygen, they get hard and sticky like gum or wood and syrup. And when they get in the veins and arteries and capillaries and all of, anywhere that where blood flows, they stick together and form clots. And the clots cause pain. It's like feel it feels like the best way I can describe it to anyone who doesn't understand sickle cell or doesn't have it is like shards of glass cutting you from the inside out. Mm. That's what it feels like. Okay. So dealing with this disease daily because it is chronic, because it can be fatal, you know, you're fighting for your life every day. I try my best to use my mind over matter because I don't like the all the opioids that my doctors want me to take every single day. If I took my opioid schedule that I'm supposed to take, being here talking to you would not be happening. Right. Because I would not be able to concentrate or focus or I'd be kind of woozy and out of it. So I use high frequency sounds. So um, I use, um, you know, because I, when I play the high, high frequency music, it gets into my subconscious and it relaxes me. 
without me even really knowing it. I'm able to sleep like that without having to take so many pain medications. And I'm not saying that I don't take them. I don't want to discourage somebody who's listening, especially somebody who has sickle cell, just like I do, who's a warrior, because each one of our plights is different. We all have, have a different path, but we, we are under the same umbrella. They're all different forms and different genotypes of the disease. Right. So you have to do what works best for you. Absolutely. And no, I don't qualify for the two cures, which one is a bone marrow transplant, because I'm, I'm considered old as a sickle cell warrior. They mm -hmm. didn't expect me to live this long. They used to tell me and my brother and several warriors my age that we, we probably wouldn't live to see 18. They would tell us that as children. I was just going to say, 15% yeah. of the children who uh, are diagnosed die by 20 years old. That's one of the statistics that right. I read. And then when you, if you make it to, right, if you make mm -hmm. it to 21, they go, well, you probably won't see 30. And when we got to, in our 30s, we were like, we're not listening to you all anymore because we've been hearing this all our life. So I'm going to live as long as I live. That's right. And, you know, just kept it moving. And that's what I try to, when, when kids who see me, or when, especially here, I met a young lady and she's cured now from sickle cell. I met her here in Sanford, North Carolina. She's done well and graduated from UNC with honors. When she saw me, she put her hands on my face and she jumped in my lap because she'd never seen anybody as old as me with the disease because they always are telling you, you're probably not going to live that long. You're not going to live. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when she saw me, her mother was like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. And I said, no, let her, because I want her to see that, that she can live and, and she, you know, there's hope for her too. I know that's I, right. I let her play in my hair. I, I let her touch all right. over my face. <laughs> hey, and now look at her. She's cured. I, so with every, every warrior that gets cured, I'm happy and I celebrate, even though that's not the path that I'm going to be able to take, you know, it is right. what it is. And then with the new gene therapy treatment and cure, People are like, oh, everybody was ringing my phone off the hook. And I know it was out of love, but I don't qualify for that. And even if I did, like some warriors do, that is like two to three million dollars to get that treatment done. Everybody's insurance is not paying for that. Right. And I don't know everybody, you know, I don't know a whole bunch of people who have that just sitting around for a gene therapy cure, you know, exactly. in the bank. So oh, or anything for that matter. You know, right. So wow. that, that's what's going on with that. So you just live each day. You, you live, each day. live each day to the fullest. Right. In a mess. But how do you harness that in a way that you can, you know, galvanize people in, in a motivational way? You explain what you've been through so people know that you're human, too. And everybody, I don't care who you are. I don't care, even if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you've been through something right. at some point in time in your life. But when you're sharing your stories, even I'm more, more conscious of this even more so now, even sharing with friends or family or just somebody I might meet at McDonald's or the doctor's office, you don't leave people stuck in the mess part of your message. Mm. Yeah. You want to uplift them. Right. I think, you know, a lot of times too, it's the connectivity of the humani humanity that we have. Like people want to, you know, be able to to find the story and, and it resonates with them in a way where, you know, we see, we see the struggle and then there is a finality to it or there's some sort of success or we get through that hardship. Right. Right. Is that what you mean? They need to see, they need to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. 
and there, there, there's going to be other tunnels. They need to understand also. Don't don't let them think that it's this fairy tale after you get out of whatever tunnel or storm that you're in. Let them know that it's part of life. Right. The obstacles, the struggles, the things that All come that into our pathway, everything. The mountains, yeah. everything. It makes you into who you are for, for where you need to be in this journey. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk about your organization a little bit. And um, is there anybody that you'd like to give a shout out to? Because I know that one person can't do it alone. So there's some people that you work with, I'm sure that, you know, you'd like to say something about. Absolutely. Two are no longer here, but I know they're here with me in spirit at all times. And that is my mentor, Arthur Mitchell, the legendary dance icon who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Mm. I kept saying I wanted to meet him, but when I met him and got the opportunity, I was overwhelmed. And I actually got there late to the symposium that he invited overwhelmed. me. Overwhelmed? How oh, so? Yeah. How so? Because oh, yeah. it was it was happening so fast. There was an article in the Washington Post. My mom said he was auditioning students. And I was like, I'm going to meet him. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to meet Arthur Mitchell. I kept telling the students that, and they kept saying it. So when we got the opportunity, we went to, I believe the auditions were at Duke Ellington, the first set of auditions that he had when the Kennedy Center Dance Theater of Harlem residency first started. And I took 18 kids up to the audition. They spent the night at my house the night before because I was not taking any chances. <laughs> them not Everybody getting right here. Everybody right here. Everybody's <laughs> getting their hair shampooed. Pressing curl, my that's mom right. had that straightening comb out. I was pressing hair, blow drying and pressing hair. They were going to look their best. I like that. And several weren't even old enough to audition, but I told them if we made it, we would tell the truth, which we did because those were the four that made it, the ones that were too young to audition. Wow. And because of that, when I met Mr. I met Mr. Mitchell, at, he invited me to the symposium. I wasn't even going to go that day. So I thank my brother too, my late brother, Wayne, who we all call Seal, affectionately call Seal, he encouraged me to go anyway because we had just had my uncle's funeral. So I was we, I was already running late because the repast ran over and things started late. It was a big military ceremony. So I went and I'm glad I did because I wouldn't probably be talking to you now because all this other stuff wouldn't have happened. Timing is everything. Timing yes. is perfect. It is. And I walked in right. late. My friend Fabian Barnes, late friend, he was like my brother. He was one of the original dance theater of Harlem dancers, a principal dancer. He said, he was doing this, come on in. And I'm trying to walk in quietly. And he, I sat down and then he pushed me back in my chair and he was like, she's here. So I helped pass it down to Mr. Mitchell and he wrapped up the talk. So I was like, okay, well, at least my brother was right. I got here in time to see the special guest. And I'm sitting there all excited. And then he wrapped up the talk and told everybody to go eat. And I was like, wow, I'm not even gonna get to ask a question, but okay, I'm here in time for the guest. And then I heard my name called. Wow. And I'm like, uh-oh. But I was thinking my name was called because I was late and he was getting ready to lay me out in front of everybody. Oh, okay. So I start walking over to him and he's like, come here, come here, come here now. Now I'm embarrassed because everybody's looking. Everybody it was like when EF Hatton talks, remember that commercial? Right, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I walked over there, legs shaking like spaghetti noodles in my heels. I can't walk. I'm walking on the sides of my shoes. I'm wobbling. 
And I get to him and I extend my hand. And he swats it away. Now the tears are welling up in my mm. eyes because everybody's watching. And I said, you don't want to shake my hand? And he said, no, I don't. And I was like, oh, wow. He said, I want to hug you because I love what you're doing over there. In the oh, wow. Shows. I was wow. like, oh, you know, like, thank you, God. Yeah. Wow. And the tears just started flowing. And the dancers started coming. The male dancers were kissing my hand. The female dancers, all the ballerinas were, were curtsying to me. And I, 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 tears were running down like I had won the Miss America badge. Wow. And they all knew, but you didn't know. Is that they right? knew, but I didn't know. I was the guest. <laughs> you were the I guest. I was a special guest. Yeah. I love he put it. his arm around me and he walked me around the room all night. I, I felt like Cinderella. I will never forget it. I said, I'm going to put it in a book, a children's book, because I think it, it's more appropriate appropriate for children, but adults could read it too. Because it was like that fairy tale dream finally right. coming true. And a full scholarship for Arthur Mitchell to tell you that he's giving you a full scholarship to the Dance Theater Harlem, knowing that at 12, you know, I had to quit dancing because of sickle cell and all the pain and being advised by teams of doctors, my parents discontinued my lessons. But in my heart and in my mind, I was not going to stop. Mm. Still the and dream. Yeah, still right. the dream. I love it. Oh, yeah. So um, anybody two else? Two of the main people. Two oh, of yeah. the main people? Those are two of the main people. Of course, my parents were putting me in dance, giving me something to do to get out of their hair. But also, I believe, and they've never told me this. I, I need to ask them. They they look at me like, what, what do you want when I'm asking questions? Like, what are you up to? But I believe they put me in dance because it got my mind off of any sickle cell pain. Hmm. During that time, you know, I could be on my way to class being picked up in my, at my aftercare. They had a, a dance bus. And I, I used to feel, I remember feeling sorry for the kids that weren't, you know, that, that couldn't go because I got picked up by myself at my dance, my, my aftercare. So I would go. And um, when I was there, it's like I felt like Wonder Woman. I watched a lot of TV when I got, when I got the opportunity to. My mom made us read a lot and listen to a lot of stories. But when... I was at dance class. I felt like Wonder Woman, the original Love Wonder Woman, Linda oh, yeah. Carter. <laughs> and I still love her to this day. I think I wear a lot of bracelets and the thick bracelets because it makes me feel like I'm her. That's funny. I'm a big kid. Um, Bionic Woman. I used to pretend like I was Lindsay Wagner as a kid because when I was pretending like I was her, I didn't feel any pain. And the same thing at dance class. When I felt like those characters, the pain was gone for the you know for that moment. So. I really believe that helped me too. Some escapism, yeah, for sure. Put me, put me in that dance class. And the teacher, Dolly Austin, I hope one day I can find her. She's still out here in the land of the living. I hope she hears this or somebody who knows her from Artlink Letter Dance Studio. It's, it's no longer there, but it was in Temple Hills, Maryland. I would love to just give her a hug because it she always encouraged me. Always. Isn't that beautiful how we can remember, you know, the teachers and the special people in our lives that have shaped us and they may not know to what extent, but we still hold it so close to ourselves. And we look back and we say, yeah, this teacher, this person is the one who guided me in a way that nobody else did. Absolutely. And responsible for what I'm doing. But that's exactly what you're doing. And that's why I wanted to highlight you in this story, because you're shaping these minds you know, these young kids and giving them 
the things that they're missing. And like we said in earlier, you know, in the show, it's more than just, you know, taking them to dance class, showing them dance moves. You're taking on everything else that they bring in and you're, you're, you're putting that energy into something that's creative and allowing them to be them and explore and shaping their minds. And that's what makes you so phenomenal. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that. phenomenal. Um, I don't know what else I could say. Do you have something else you want to, you want to let people know what's coming up in the future? What's coming up in the future is the, the change book series that I'm a part of. I'm in series 20 mm -hmm. and that is with featuring Les Brown. I mean, one of my main mentors, of course, and that was another big dream of mine. It's unfolding as we speak. The book is in full production now. It will be available for sale very, very soon. Um, and also uh, Jim Lutz, I'd like to thank him, Jim Britt. They're my two publishers with the book. I also have another book coming out. I'm looking forward to both. I, I, sometimes it's like, is this really happening? <laughs> my childhood memoirs are being published by another publishing house, Page Publishing House. So I'm really excited about that as well. Beautiful. Well, you definitely got to keep in touch with us and let us know, you know, when it comes out and, and how we can reach, you know, out to you and, and make, let people see it, and know more about it. How can we get in touch with you? What's your social media? How do we reach out to you? I'm old school. <laughs> Hit me up on Facebook. <laughs> My daughter laughs at me. She's probably like, oh. Hit me up on Facebook. I do have uh, an what is it, IG account, but I'm rarely on that. Mm -hmm. I'm usually you can reach me on Facebook every day, or at uh, Carlos Kids Dance at gmail.com or CarlosKidsDance.org, my website. Okay, everybody, please make sure you reach out to Dr. Carla Hooker. You can reach her on Facebook. You know that's where the community is. Everybody go on there, reach out to her, hit her by hit her up by email also. Thank you for coming to the show and sharing your story. Please, please come back anytime. I appreciate you and continue to uh, guide the community and help people and, and kids and everything you're doing is, is incredible. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Thank you. Everybody, please make sure you follow the show. This is season five. Once again, the show is called One Mike Night, O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. -E. My name is Marco Suiz. Also, follow me on Instagram. I got a lot of things coming up. I got a new film in pre-production. I'm playing Spider-Man's uncle in an independent Spider-Man film, along with some other stuff happening. So I'm really thankful once again, as always. Thank you for watching the show. Please make sure you share and also check out my store. Get yourself the mug. The t-shirts are available. This cup is the I Am Art series. You are art. We're all artists and we are creators. And also check out the I Am King hoodies. Yeah, I Am King. That's it. I'm Marco Suiz. Thank you for joining me for One Mic Night. We'll see you next time. Bye.